episode 20 of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Cabana of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of The Athletic. On this episode, an exercise in observation. Is a driver really improving or am I just seeing things? Kyle Busch criticizes his truck team again. We'll tell you if it's fair or not. And everything you need to know for both Texas and Michigan this weekend. But first, as always, this is episode 20 of Positive Regression. This, David, is the Tony Stewart edition of Positive Regression. Good timing here, of course, as Tony Stewart is one of the newest members of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Obviously, a well-deserved honor. And David, I think he'll just forever be remembered in that number 20 orange Home Depot car. You think Tony Stewart, you think Home Depot, you think number 20, bright orange for JGR, pound for pound. I, I would put him as one of the best drivers in history because look at what he did in IndyCars and then to come over to NASCAR and have the success that he did, three championships, you just don't see that kind of versatility. You put him up there in the ilk of, of AJ Foyd, of Mario Andretti. Few drivers have been able to cross the spectrum like that, and Tony Stewart is one of them, at least for me, David. Uh, USAC triple crown winner and, uh, did make a fool of himself driving sports cars in the Rolex 24. Um, certainly versatile, but 1999, 28 years old, he became the first rookie to win a NASCAR Cup Series race since Davey Allison in 1987. He was not your typical rookie. He was coming off uh, an Indy car, I believe a, a tie for a championship. But in that first year, he scored a peer above 3.0 and finished fourth in points. Uh, we talked about relevance percentage back on episode 18 in reference to Bobby Labonte. For a refresher, relevance percentage measures the percentage of finishes in the top half of fields. Stewart, as a rookie, scored a relevance over 91 percent. <laughs> as a rookie, yeah, not 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 a, a not a DNF machine. That was the best single season mark of his career. Uh, as he continued on, he won his first of three championships in 2002, after which he'd only ever win a championship or finish outside the top five in points. There was no in-between. He never had a season of elite lights-out production. The highest peer he ever scored was 3.694 in 2006. His career P. Roa was a plus 1.027. For what it's worth, Alan, Eric Jones's P. Roa after two seasons is slightly better. A plus 1.035. Better keep him in that 20 car. But my lasting memory of Tony Stewart is what we learned from him off the track. He has some panache, Alan, some marketing zeal. He taught us that contrary to conventional wisdom, you can indeed give yourself a nickname, and if marketed properly, it will stick. Are you saying he came up with smoke? Because I do not know this story. He disguised himself at the Chili Bowl as a driver named Smoke Johnson. <laughs> and on the final day of the Chili Bowl, because it goes, um, it, it graduates all the way to A main from like you started, you know, W main. You, you literally are climbing the alphabet. He started low on the alphabet, started climbing his way up. And, uh, as he kept winning and progressing during the day, people started to figure out, hmm, the smoke Johnson's really good. Um, that's pretty, that's Tony Stewart, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, Tony Stewart, that's, uh, that's how smoke 
originated, uh, gave it to himself. He is the, uh, the Kobe Bryant giving himself the Black Mamba nickname of NASCAR. Good stuff. And we could talk forever about Tony Stewart and his accomplishments, the good, bad, the ugly, the sound bites, the fights, what have you. Uh, I was on the same wavelength as you, though, David. When he came into the sport to finish fourth, his first four years, fourth, sixth, second, and first in points, your first four years in a cup car. Uh, again, like you said, that we don't see that. I mean, Jeff Gordon didn't win initially in his first year. For him to come in and do that, especially in his first four years and have a championship with that point system, I just thought that was damn impressive, and uh, he carried through uh, his entire career into ownership, and he's still around, still an influence, and uh, still not afraid to give a good soundbite. So, episode 20, dedicated to you, Tony Stewart. Good job. Moving on, let's start with, uh, we've played a few games here lately, David. I don't know if we'll call this a game, but looking at the cup field and seeing some drivers who I believe have improved and We've had discussions, and I think, you know, we go back and forth sometimes, but I think you can tell me, or you'd like to tell me, if I am correct that some of these drivers are indeed improving, or if I just have my perception that they are improving, and I'm thinking of the wrong thing. So I picked three drivers. I'm going to throw them out to you, tell you why I think they're improving. Some of them are obvious. I'll save uh, the most interesting one for last, but let's start with Alex Bowman. I just, I mean... Look, we, we see what he's doing, right? I mean, a few weeks ago, he had a streak of three consecutive second place finishes. He is showing us how much he's improving on the track. He didn't have a great start to the season. Comes in, gets those three consecutive second place finishes. You know, last week, last few, floating around the top 10, had issues. I think what at Pocono, I think came around 15th, but I feel that he is better than last year. His production numbers show he is performing better than last year. Alex Bowman is improved as a driver this year, and I think it could lead to yet another playoff spot, if not a victory by the end of the season. I'll let you have this one. I did a double take when I looked at central speeds from last year and compared them to this year. Bowman's 88 car ranked 15th in speed last year, ranks 14th this year. If you consider one of the three fastest cars last year was the Furniture Row Racing 78, uh, it closed shop and left. It is an improvement at all on paper then for the 88 car, except that it kind of is. Uh, Bowman has never experienced a surge like the one you mentioned between Talladega, Dover, and Kansas. He ranked third, fifth, and second in central speed for those races that's a new wrinkle. He is a career journeyman uh, to uh, to this point in his career. He's never had that before. Um, as for his driving, his results getting, you mentioned, uh, in equal equipment, it is up to a 1.036 peer. That's up from 0.375 last year. That is indeed a big jump. It was not quite where he was projected in my preseason regression analysis, which was 1.349. Uh, my regression analysis loved age 26. It seems Chris Busher was also projected for big improvement this year and is so far living up to it. But Bowman's restart retention. Let's talk about this. From the non-preferred groove, it is up by 23 percentage points. That is a big improvement. We talked about his passing on the one mile tracks in our tooth truths and a lie episode. Unfortunately, outside of that track type, he's been lackluster everywhere else a minus passer on the hole for the season. 
but even still, I'll say that your assessment is correct. Bowman much improved, though not to the extent that I would stop looking for a possible upgrade if I were the man in charge at Hendrick Motorsports. Interesting, interesting. And I don't give myself much credit on that one. I'm just looking at the results, and I feel like Alex Bowman is doing better. And some numbers, at least some metrics at least, uh, back me up. Uh, the second driver, I'm going to go with his teammate, William Byron. Uh, again, I think William Byron has undoubtedly improved, and I'm not saying anything, I think, very eye-opening or groundbreaking, David. He should improve as a second-year driver, just as you think, it, uh, you know, in any field, you would improve the second time around. He has Chad Knauss on the box, uh, call, making the shots and calling the shots in his ear and building cars and the strategy for it all. Uh, one of the best crew chiefs in the history of the sport. That has to help you improve as a driver. Already this season, he has as many top 10s as he did all of last year. He's a much better uh, in terms of production. So sorry if this is obvious, David, but William Byron is an improved driver this year. Easy improvement. Totally, totally in agreement there. Uh, the addition of Chad Canals and Byron's own natural growth have moved the 24 car up five spots in the central speed rankings over last season. Uh, I definitely want to talk about his passing. He is still a minus passer on the whole, but he is much better uh, than where he was last year. In 2018, he had, and I'm reading here, a minus 2.07% surplus passing value, which ranked as the third worst in the series after Corey LaJoy and Greg Galding. But this year, he has a minus 0.59% surplus value, which ranks as the 15th best among drivers who have started in every race. So that's a pretty big turnaround just in regards to track position. Byron is also the seventh best restarter right now from the non-preferred groove. I think about these numbers when I think about that pass for the stage win in the All-Star Showdown at Charlotte. When I saw that pass, I thought, oh, there he is. That's the kid that was so cutthroat uh, in K&N East and in the truck series. Alan, he is an exceptional talent, and that will become more obvious moving forward. Think of what you're seeing from him right now in these glimpses as a preview for what you'll see all the time maybe five years down the road. Um, I, I I think very, very highly of young William Byron. All right. And he's paired with Chad Canal. So good things coming for the 24 bunch over there. And finally, th- this one was a little odd just because uh, I'm going with Denny Hamlin. And I just think, you know, Denny Hamlin has spent a decade plus as one of uh, the top performers in the Cup Series, a bunch of wins, a bunch of, uh, you know, memorable wins, if you will, uh, a bunch of good point battles, never getting that one championship, though. Uh, started the season off, remember last year, he had no victories. Started the season off with a Daytona victory and has two victories on the season. And, and so just looking at his peer, though, David, I was surprised to find out that he is on pace for the best production, the most productive year since 2010. That, that's almost a decade ago. And so and that doesn't really surprise me, though. I guess when I look and I see his age is 38, approaching at age 39. So Denny Hamlin is an improved driver this late in his career. He has made a big improvement this year in his driving ability. 
Oh man, you picked three good ones. The, yeah, all, I agree with all of them. So this isn't much of a game, but th- this Sorry. is certainly worth a. Uh, this is certainly worth uh, talking about, though. Denny was good last year. He had a two point three three peer, even though he did not win a race this year. It's up to three point five. Ended last season as a minus overall passer, but at the beginning of the season he had a positive adjusted differential, and he does that again this year. I would call that a check in the pros column. Whether that sustains for the full year remains to be seen. A lot will depend on whether he feels he's able to pass with this new rules package. Um, last year, he lost 135 positions across 98 restart attempts from the non-preferred groove, and that was more than any other driver. He's lost 26 on 21 attempts so far this season. And so our listeners are clear, drivers typically score net negatives from the non-preferred groove. But Denny's total is not even a bottom 15 total, so there is some improvement there. I think that's a great call. Um, I like what I'm seeing from this 11 team. We've talked about Texas, uh, the win, coming from behind after a pit penalty, the last three green flag pit cycles in that Texas race, Chris Gabehart jumped Hamlin 13 positions on the racetrack, including the final stop, which put him from second to first. That is what won that race. Uh, that number 11 team is a very good all-around team. And you know, Alan, uh, last week on The Athletic, I wrote about Eric Jones and I wrote about the the roster crunch that is about to happen at Joe Gibbs Racing if Christopher Bell is forced into the mix. A lot of the feedback that I got from my readers was that Denny Hamlin was a popular odd man out, and I just feel like that would be a mistake. This has been a big long-term investment on behalf of Joe Gibbs into Denny Hamlin, and to not have him for his age 39 season, and even at age 40, this is the time where this investment pays off, right? This this arguably, uh, based on history, could be his best chance at a championship moving forward um, within the next two or three years. Man, that'd be tough to just not ride that out. What what say you, Alan? Where are you on the Joe Gibbs Racing roster crunch? Well, look, I I, I take your gospel and I love it. I, I love what when when you pointed out for a lot of people, myself included, that Eric Jones is younger than Christopher Bell. Uh, it really made me think twice about what they should do and how they should do it. I don't have an answer yet. I'm not a Toyota executive, but uh, I learned a lot about Eric Jones and where he should be. And if I'm going to follow that, I'm going to follow the age 39 rule and, and say, if Denny Hamlin's most productive year is still ahead of him, why would you ever think about getting rid of him? Again, we, we use that cliche phrase, a good problem to have. I don't know if they have a good problem over at Joe Gibbs Racing at no. the moment. <laughs> so uh, I'm not going to pretend to have an answer. I'm just going to just acknowledge that uh, I learn a lot by reading your research and discussing it with you. And I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, I thank you very much for saying that. And I, I agree. That is, to me, that's just not a, a good problem to have. In other sports, if you are developing a player and it gets to a situation where you have two players playing the same position, you can trade that player for another asset, either, you know, a, a draft pick or a younger player or something, something that fits your roster. That luxury does not exist in NASCAR. If you develop a driver and you don't have room for him, then you just created a rival. That is what Joe Gibbs Racing currently faces with either Eric Jones or Christopher Bell. There's going to be an odd man out. I'm happy that I'm not the one 
making that decision. Boy, if Denny Hamlin was cut loose, you're you're missing out on some golden years there. That'd be a hell of a story. We shall see. It's one of the the bigger storylines coming up uh, for the rest of 2019. So looking forward to that, certainly as a storyteller and journalist. But moving on, uh, and I apologize. That wasn't much of a game, David, but you know, I, I bet people learned a lot. So that's what positive regression is all about. So there no, you go. <laughs> on, on, on the contrary, I think your your picks were really good. It shows you're, you're able to identify that from the uh, correctly from the get-go. That was without my help, folks. That was all Alan. So I'm actually, I'm quite proud of you. You, you know what to what to look for you're looking for the right things on sunday excellent maybe i'm learning something all right moving on to the truck series little truck talk now that it's back in texas this weekend and once again kyle bush was asked he was asked not prompted to assess the performance of his truck team and young drivers todd gilliland and harrison burton and on a one to ten scale he said it's a two i'll read you the quote they ain't doing shit, man. They ain't running good. I can go out there and win every single race by 10 seconds, and they're out there struggling along to finish 7th to 10th. That ain't going to fly. Those are the words of Kyle Busch. David, you could see, you could feel a certain way about how he says something, but what I want to do is break down what he is saying. Is Kyle's assessment of his team and drivers, is that a fair assessment of the current situation at KBM? Yes, but probably not for the reasons that he thinks. Go on. No. <laughs> well, let, let, I, let's break it down a little bit. So let's go with some, when Kyle Bush is in that 51, he went five for five and won a bunch of, didn't dominate everything. Wasn't, you know, he didn't just drive away with all these victories. I was there for all of them. That is not the case. Some of them, uh, you know, some of them he dominated. Some of them he was, you know, gifted some, some, some great, uh, position and Kyle Bush is, you know, with, with a gift, Kyle Bush is absolutely going to win a race. So, but it's not like he went out and dominated every race. You know, he did what he did and went five for five. In other times, that 51 truck has, doesn't perform when he's not in it. And then you look at his other drivers, Todd Gilliland and Harrison Burton. Um, they don't have, seem to have the same speed or performance when, as Kyle Bush when he is racing in the series. So are his drivers underperforming? If we believe that the that the other drivers, not Kyle Busch, are underperforming, then we're making a lot of assumptions about Kyle Busch Motorsports. The chief assumption being that KBM is equal to every driver coming into that shop, and I don't believe that's the case. Just the speed alone tells us that. The 18 truck with Harrison Burton ranks fifth in central speed. The four truck with Todd Gilliland ranks 10th. Uh, whenever Kyle is in the 51 truck, it's the fastest truck on the racetrack. Now, what does Kyle Busch have that two teenagers don't? He has a lot of experience in driving, but he also has a great ability to communicate what's happening with his truck. So he knows what he will want to demand of it. He will know uh, what is needed of it after practice. He also has this unhuman uh, ability to recall from races past. Uh, folks that have worked with him have told me that his recall is freakish, like Tiger Woods, LeBron James level stuff that he can tell you exactly what his truck felt like in turn three on lap 81 seven years ago at Kansas. He has, he can do that. Todd Gilliland, Harrison Burton cannot provide that depth of feedback. They're still learning and they're going to make mistakes, especially as teenagers. As statistical history will tell you, 
race car drivers don't really kick into gear until about age 24. That's when it starts to get serious. And then it's a steady incline until age 38, 39, 40. They're not even to that point yet. So if Kyle is comparing them to him and disregarding everything that's going on with the team, I think that's a mistake. I look at that team. Kyle pulled Rudy Fugel, which was his championship winning crew chief in recent years for other drivers. He pulled him back onto his team. So he has arguably the best crew chief in that stable. The other crew chiefs, Marcus Richmond and Mike Hillman Jr., I'm going to pull a Bill Simmons and ask this question. Are we sure they're good? Are we sure they're the crew chiefs that are leading these young prodigious talents to the promised land? Because uh, I I don't know about that, Alan. I'm not so sure. I think back to when Kyle Busch Motorsports was formed, Kyle was in his 20s. And Rick Wren was running the show. Remember that name? It wasn't uh, so much a part of the Toyota development funnel back then as it is now. It was, it was a viable side business for Kyle Busch. So think back to drivers like Taylor Malsum and Josh Richards, who regardless of what you think of them, they really struggled in part. And this is according to hearsay. So take that for what it's worth. KBM didn't really care all that much about how the other drivers did. The priority was Kyle Busch. And it sounds similar now, but Kyle Busch is old enough to be aware of a problem and there's more of a focus on it because Toyota has invested a lot of money in a deep development program that's that on the surface is underperforming. And the criticism, I, I, I can't imagine that helps. That That's maybe another discussion because I just want to talk performance and equipment. But when you look at central speed rankings, and this is maybe a, a bigger, deeper issue, and one is fifth, one is 10th, how much of that is on the driver? Because you we, you talk and you write a lot about central speed. How much how much does the driver factor into the speed of a race truck or a race car? I'll give you something to consider. I think Todd Gilliland might be overachieving. Okay, what? I want you to consider this. No, really? no, and he yes, he has currently a top fifteen efficiency of plus two percent. That means he is finishing in the top fifteen two percent more often than he's running in the top fifteen. I think we can probably safely say that that is balanced, but looking at his production and equal equipment rating right now, it's a 2.813. He was projected this year after a pretty bad year last year. He scored about a one in peer. He was projected for a 0.500 and he is far exceeding that. Uh, Harrison Burton also scoring a high peer, a 2.750 despite being one of the four worst passers in the truck series after Natalie Decker, Jennifer Joe Cobb, and Timmy Hill. That's, well, that's a hell of a trio. But Harrison Burton's still actually getting results despite some visible faults. They kind of are doing things. And that's what brings me back to, are we sure it's not the truck? I think there are some problems within the shop that are manifesting on race day. Interesting. Just how the pendulum can swing from, from driver to equipment, driver to equipment. And I wonder, you know, Kyle Bush not afraid to criticize, and I'm sure, I'm certain that he does it in private as well as public, but I wonder if anyone in private <laughs> uh, acknowledges uh, or, or throws back at him. 
uh, potential faults in the equipment. I would love to be a fly on that conversation. Uh, this weekend, not Kyle, Kyle Busch no longer driving in the truck series this season. And oddly enough, Greg Biffle will be behind the wheel of the 51, a truck that has won five times, including at Texas with Kyle Busch driving, and also a truck that has struggled at other tracks when Kyle Busch was not driving it. So what can we expect or what do you expect when a former truck champion, a former uh, Cup Series winner, damn near champion in that as well, is going to get behind the wheel for a random one-off at Texas? How much do we take away from that? <laughs> uh, oh man, to throw a dart on the wall and see what's, I, you know what? He hasn't been in a truck in maybe what, 15 years? Since, uh, yeah, uh, it's been a long a time. He, he, he did the test. He did the test a few months ago, but that's about it. The only laps he's done in a truck in more than a decade. So I guess it's good that this is a night race, um, because it, it may be a test of Biffle's fitness. I hope he's been hitting the gym and he hasn't been sitting on his boat. Uh, during his, uh, his retirement, but, uh, we'll find out. I think you can get a, a halfway decent run. I, I think again, where, where you are going to see a gap is probably going to be more to do with communication. The trucks have changed. They change a lot every year. Um, so it's been, you know, 10, 15 fold since the last time he sat in a truck. So that, I mean, that is, that's going to be quite the story. I'm glad that you're, uh, so close to it and, an, uh, and we'll be able to cover it in Texas. Yeah. And um, I talked to Greg earlier this week. Hopefully you saw it on race hub. If not, go back and check my Twitter feed. I'll, I'll tweeted it out for you, but, um, it was interesting to talk to him. He is in very good spirits. He has been racing uh, a lot of sand stuff out in the desert out West, whether, uh, he was telling me about a sand, uh, kind of a drag racing series with these sand cars that go uphill, uh, wild stuff that he was doing and having fun with it. So he's been behind the wheel of something, having a good time, but certainly not, uh, on a racetrack like, uh, like we expect on Friday night, but I asked him about the expectations because we were standing right in front of his 51 truck that had the five win stickers on it, and he he leaned more toward you have to temper your expectations and look toward what the other KBM trucks have done, pointing at the 18 and the 4, and so that, that's what he he was having this thought because, you know, I brought up Kyle Busch can have some high standards, and he said you have to temper the expectations and look at what those other two trucks are doing and not look at what Kyle Busch has done in that truck this season. So even he is kind of thinking that way. So it has me interested as well. I hope I have his pit on Friday night. I'm actually pleasantly surprised by that. So he he actually has a very realistic take. He did. Uh, on that. Okay. Does Did he indicate if this goes well, best case scenario, what does he want to come of it? Uh, you know, I didn't ask that specific question, but um, he acknowledged that there will be a huge learning curve just in terms of uh, – there's a, I mean, he was trying to think of it, but he, I don't think he's raced around any of the people in this race. You know, he was trying to think of maybe crafting a few times, solder. He didn't realize, you know, we were trying to think of it together, but I don't know if there's anyone in this field that he has raced against in a truck. So yeah. just learning, knowing what someone may do, knowing the quirks of the different drivers, uh, knowing the track layout. Remember, Texas has changed. Everything has changed since he's been in a truck. Uh, he acknowledged the learning curve and didn't really set extreme expectations. Uh, certainly you get the vibe. He didn't want to go out there and embarrass himself. And he certainly knows 
that a lot of eyes will be on him because it's Greg Biffle. I mean, this is a, a really good NASCAR driver, and he's back, and people will be looking at him to achieve some sort of level of success. I mean, Jeb Burton tweeted out, that's the race winner, you know, predicting him to, to win the race. I think that's kind of a long shot, but it'll be interesting. And certainly none of the truck regulars want to be beaten by Greg Biffle. I think that would be an embarrassment. I mean, if Jeb Burton's handing out odds, I'll take the field if, if he wants to. If, if he wants to make a wager, I'm 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 listening. Um, but well, I think he's sufficiently sold this. I was already going to watch this race, but I'm now genuinely intrigued about the 51 truck. They raced to Texas not long ago. It was the end of March. It's a weird scheduling quirk this year that Texas has two races really close together. And if you remember that first Texas race, yes, Kyle Busch won, but it was one of those races he did not run away with. Uh, safe to say, I mean, Stuart Friesen had the best truck that night, as did Brett Moffitt. He was really good that night. Both just could not beat Kyle Busch. I mean, Kyle Busch schooled him, frankly. I think uh, Brett Moffitt had a little issue, and Stuart Friesen just could not figure out how to get around Kyle Busch at the end. Take Kyle Busch out of the equation. I want to see, one, a mistake-free race from Stuart Friesen, and I want to see him duel it out with the 24 truck of Brett Moffitt. That's what I want to see Friday night. My eyes will be on Nice Motorsports, who won at Kansas Speedway with Ross Chastain behind the wheel of the 45 truck. He will move out of that truck into a different truck. Uh, Kyle Benjamin will be in the 45 truck, making his first NASCAR start of the year. Uh, full disclosure, I worked with Benjamin in my previous life as an agency rep. Uh, he is excellent on short tracks, finished second in his first ever truck series race last year at Martinsville. That was actually the first time he ever saw Martinsville was that, uh, that very weekend. But, uh, I will admit he does need to prove he is viable on the, the intermediate tracks in the truck series. With all due respect to Greg Biffle and the Biffleettes, whoever KBM is trotting out this weekend, uh, Chastain and Benjamin to me are, uh, the most interesting pairing for any organization this weekend. I'd like to see how Nice performs at, uh, at Big Bad Texas Motor Speedway. I'm definitely interested in seeing Kyle Benjamin because if you are a longtime listener of Positive Regression, uh, we did a whole prospects episode. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen because it is intriguing. And Kyle Benjamin was, uh, listed as one of the top prospects be, uh, you know, for a cup series ride one day because of his talent and he doesn't get many opportunities. That'd be the knock against Kyle Benjamin. And this is one of them. So I'm interested to see how all that plays out. So good call, David. The trucks are in Texas. Meanwhile, the Cup and Xfinity Series will be up in Michigan for the big show on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, David, two-mile track. We've been to one before this season in Fontana. Uh, kind of a long, flat track last week in Pocono. Is there anything at those two tracks, Pocono and Fontana, earlier this season that we can kind of carry over and think about when we think of a preview of Michigan? Well, I'll tell you what we learned. Um, these two mile facilities have traditionally rewarded those with a lot of speed. And even despite the new rules package restricting speed, uh, the fastest car won at Fontana and at Pocono. It was Kyle Busch in both. Um, after winning Pocono, he felt passing was difficult. He voiced his frustrations. I have often said that Speed masks deficiencies, and in this case, speed masked a perceived inability to pass. So 
Speed will be paramount this weekend. The five fastest uh, this season on the two-mile tracks are Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, Clint Boyer, and Joey Logano. Sixth and seventh on that list are the two Eric's, Eric Almarola and Eric Jones, in case you are pining for a sleeper in whatever game you may choose to play. Um, but Alan, since passing is an unknown quantity and we can assume crew chiefs will treat it as such, they tend to be very smart, track position might again take precedence over conventional pit strategy. Uh, there was a competition caution last weekend. Rodney Childers pitted Kevin Harvick in advance of the competition caution yeah. so that he may only take fuel during the stage break. Didn't didn't really land them the net that they were hoping, but just from that move, you can understand how crew chiefs might be thinking at these types of races. Michigan could ultimately see flat-out driving with very little tire degradation. That means two tire stops for left sides or no tires at all. And I actually think those decisions might affect track position more than, say, the uh, the well-timed stops under green flag conditions. And as always, uh, something we love to look at because they end up being so important and we can really focus on them and, and take what we've learned and apply it while we're watching restarts. David, it was a big topic going into Pocono. I don't know if it played out as much as we thought it was going to be with all the aero and engine rules, but, um, the line certainly did. You know, we had, uh, you had your stats about preferred, uh, groove restarts and non-preferred groove restarts and those certainly played out. So what should we expect up in Michigan? A little more of that. I think that's a pretty good start. So this year, what we've seen from the 550 horsepower package, restarts are more volatile. The gains are bigger. The losses are steeper. The, there's more jostling because there isn't uh, acceleration. But the groove preference, as you mentioned, has held steady everywhere. Uh, this is important to know this weekend because the disparity in this race last year was really bad. Uh, the outside groove is Michigan's preferred and its occupants retained 92% of the wow, time that's a high last number. year. That is a high number. The inside in comparison was just 27%. For our listeners, uh, I encourage you to watch the fourth place and sixth place cars on restarts. Uh, those two running positions defended their spots 100% of the time and often gained positions. Uh, Clint Boyer restarted from fourth or sixth a total of three times in last year's spring race at Michigan and gained six spots on the track as a result, and he went on to win the race. Interesting. Maybe a little luck of the draw, but certainly some skill up there from the preferred groove. Uh, and just like we did for Texas, what do you want to see coming in this weekend's race, David? Across the last five races, Chase Elliott's number nine Chevrolet has been the fastest car, uh, something I wrote about this week for The Athletic. But his car is just the 10th fastest this year on the two-mile tracks. Something's got to give. Uh, he's never finished worse than ninth at Michigan. I would like to see what matters more to Chase Elliott. Is it the speed for the track type or his recent turn in form? Because this could be a very big weekend for uh, for Mr. Elliott. 
And I will agree. I want to see that as well after uh, seeing the trend that has been with uh, Hendrick Motorsports improving. We talked about improved drivers earlier in this episode, uh, not only this season, but just in the last five races. As you said, Chase Elliott, one of uh, the fastest car in terms of central speed. I want to see that play out. I want to see that speed and maybe some aggression play out in Michigan. And I want to see the race that Denny Hamlin believes it could be. If you saw it last week after the race, uh, you know, talking about kind of the the non-action we saw at Pocono, Denny was somewhat encouraged that this package would take off, if you will, in Michigan, or, or the two would complement each other. So I just hope that plays out uh, because I like the Michigan track. I like the high speeds and the idea of drafting and maybe just an exciting race with some passing. That'll be a positive, and I look forward to that, David. That'll wrap up episode 20 of Positive Regression. Don't forget, we are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean. We have all your favorite devices covered. If you like what you are hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. That helps this podcast gain some visibility. Your help in spreading the word is always appreciated. If you have any questions, we would love to answer them. You know we do. Answer them. We'll answer them right on this podcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at PosRegPod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, what are you working on? I am working on an article about Chris Busher for The Athletic. You know, there was some consideration of his firing at the end of last season, but Tad Geschechter elected to keep him in that number 37 car. Uh, and now we're talking about Busher for good reasons. He's fresh off of three straight top 15 finishes. So I'm delving into the numbers behind his, uh, his little surge. Good to hear, David. And I've really enjoyed all the work you guys are doing over at The Athletic in terms of racing coverage. It's been a really um, cool addition, and it has moved up on my apps page, if you will, on my phone. Athletic used to be kind of toward the back. It, I, I honestly has moved it up because I now check The Athletic a lot because of its racing coverage. So I look forward to reading that, David. Um, if you are listening to this on the morning that it drops on Thursday, first of all, that's always appreciated. That means you are a subscriber. But make sure you watch Race Hub tonight. I'll I'll be up at RCR talking with Austin Dillon, a driver currently going in the wrong direction after a tough two weeks, needs to turn things around. So that will be good to talk with them up there at RCR. Uh, check my Twitter feed because we have interviewed Greg Biffle this week for Race Hub as we lead into where I'll be Friday night, and that's Texas for the truck race in what should be a Kyle Busch-less race and uh, should be a wide-open field. So I'm looking forward to being in the pits for that on FS1, and then make sure you keep it to the Fox family of networks all weekend for racing for Texas and from Michigan. Thank you for listening to episode 20 of Positive Regression. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. Have a great week, everyone. Stay positive. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. 
Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.